Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Dirk, lead pastor here at Encounter Church, and we are so glad to be able to worship with you and so that you, uh, geography is not a barrier. Uh, we are all together. Uh, we believe that. And so I just want to give a couple of shout outs to some of those uh, watch parties that are happening right now. Uh, we've got a number of them, as Zach said earlier, all the way from Kalamazoo to Canada. And so I just want to say uh, watch party gathering at Brook Meadow location in Shadyside. Awesome. Welcome. If you're worshiping at Lake Drive or Meadow Grove, we are so glad that you're with us here as well. Uh, you know, <laughs> nine years ago today, my wife and I were in, a, uh, were in our living room and we were gathering for worship with just a few close friends uh, trying to start what would become Encounter Church. And mostly those were Bible studies where we just uh, tried to figure out how we could get this message of Jesus to our neighbors. And God took that concept in our effort and blessed it repeatedly and multiplied and multiplied it until it became what you know of as Encounter Church. Well, nine years later... <laughs> I guess we're kind of back in the living room here, aren't we? And so, honey, I want to say uh, thank you for hosting one of the watch parties for some close friends. We're glad to be able to do that. It's funny how uh, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme sometimes. Uh, well, I want to also acknowledge that we've got people gathering in Portage, Michigan, and all the way in a city northwest of Toronto in Canada. We're blessed to be able to worship together uh, through this struggle. All right, this morning we are going to be uh, gathering here, and we're going we're gonna to hear more and more about what God is doing in the future and where God is bringing Encounter Church. And we're going to do that through a town hall immediately following our time together here worshiping after 1045. And so partners, you're going to get a link in your inbox and we'd love for you to continue participating with us. You can text your number, you can text your questions in and we want to make sure that this is a back and forth and that this is a time we're all together to hear about what God is doing in and through Encounter Church. But I thought what would be helpful this morning is just to kind of, kind of revisit what in the world is the church all about? In fact, that's the question that we're going to ask here this morning. It's going to be at the bottom of the screen. It's just the simple question, what is the church anyway? Because chances are you have an idea about what the church is. Like that, that conjures up some kind of feels inside of you. And maybe when you think of a church, you think of it as, a, as a building. Maybe it's even this building, the one that I'm in right now. And quite frankly, throughout this uh, healthcare or health uh, situation that we're in, that's kind of, that idea is being pushed up against right now. And maybe you have some anxiety over that. Maybe, maybe you feel a little uncomfortable with that. And that's, and that's okay, because quite honestly, I think, I think we might need to be challenged to think about church less and less as the building and more as the people of God. For some of you, when you think about church, you think about it maybe as a social club for those people who are religious or maybe those people who are curious to, to learn more about, uh, about God and about this expression of, of spirituality. For others of you, when you think of, of church, you think a, a distribution center for the poor so that everybody and anybody can come and get the kind of assistance that they need. And that's not bad either. But some of you, I want to be, I want to acknowledge that when you hear church, the, the feels that get stirred inside of you are not always that positive. Because when you hear church, and maybe you think it's something just surface and light. Maybe when you hear church, you think about just stale coffee that's watered down. Or those flannel graphs maybe that you grew up in kids ministry as a child. But for some of you, when you hear church, the image or the name 
of somebody who hurt you comes to mind. And the hard part is that they represented church to you. And it's difficult to even wrap your minds around it. And so if that's you and you've been hurt, I just want to commend you on the courage that you have right now tuning in and, and, and listening and, and, and watching and being a part of it as you are. I think that takes an incredible amount of courage on your part and I want to just commend you in that. And I also want to acknowledge for the rest of us, no matter what we feel and what we think when we think of as church, that if we had the same experience you had, we probably would come to the same conclusions that you did. But for others of us, the feeling and the idea of church, it's something so remarkably positive. For others of us like me, and I realize I have a privileged position because I get to see the church do all kinds of cool things all the time. And I am so amazingly proud of my church and so many other churches and church leaders that I know and that I get to hang out with. So I get to, I get to watch as the church steps in and, and pays somebody's mortgage when there's a job loss just to make sure that they don't get put out of a home and start to spiral. I get to be a part of a church that will pay for somebody's uh, heat to stay on all winter long because nobody in this community is going to lose heat in the dead of winter if we can help it. I love being a part of church like that. I love being a part of a church like this that responds as proactively as we can. And so some people might be wondering if we're, if we're canceling our in-person worship experiences out of a sense of, of, of fear. And I want to say, no, I want to push back up against that and say, this is not done and this is not out of a, out of a spirit of fear, but of courage and of compassion. See, what we're doing by listening to our public health officials and canceling in-person worship experiences and spreading out individuals and small watch parties throughout West Michigan and even North America, what we're doing is, is we're trying to save lives. And isn't that what we're about too as the church? And so what we want to acknowledge today, church, that I'm mid-30s. And if I got the COVID-19 virus, you know, statistically they tell me that I'm probably going to be okay because I'm in good health. But listen, I also hang out with people who are over 70. Sometimes I spend time with people who have cancer and other compromised immune systems. And so what we do and how we respond, how we act, takes a remarkable demonstration of courage, of work, and of compassion. Not to save our lives. Many of us will be just fine, but to save their lives. Because that too is what the church is about. And I love being a part of a movement like this. So whatever your feelings about church, I want to kind of put our feelings aside, whether negative or positive, and I want to take a look at just how the early church thought of itself. Who does a church think that it was at its very infancy, just as it was starting to get off the ground? And so what we're going to do is take a look at this thing just when it first started. Because listen, this whole thing, it wasn't built on a building. They didn't have an Instagram handle, if you can believe doing church without Instagram. I mean, it's shocking, right? They didn't have any of that stuff. What they did have was a person at the center of it all. You see, this man, Jesus, as a young man in his mid-30s, we just established that, you know, in your mid-30s, that's still a young man, right? This young man, Jesus Christ, in his mid-30s, claimed to be God. But he didn't just make the claim, he also backed it up. You see, he would do these signs, these wonders, that weren't just fun party magic tricks. No, no, no. They confirmed the words that he was saying. And so he would, he would do something like offer to forgive a man's sin. Who can do that but God alone? But at the same time, in the next breath, he told this man who was paralyzed 
to stand up, pick up his mat, and carry it home. Incredible. The man does. He stands up, picks up his mat, and goes home. Presumably also, his sins were forgiven because God can forgive sins. This is Jesus Christ, and you can start to get a sense as to how he got into some hot water with the religious establishment and eventually came to the boiling point where they sentenced him to death and they hung him up on a cross to be crucified. But he called his shot. He said, in three days, I'll die and then I'll be raised to life again. And that's exactly what happened. And so his close friend, these followers of Jesus, they saw all of this. And I don't think they could make sense of it all. They didn't have a bucket to put it in or a scheme, a platform to build on it. But you know what? They said, we're in. And we're going to go with, guy, with this guy no matter what. Because when somebody does something like that, listen, you follow him anywhere. And so they did. And a movement began. At one point, Peter stands up to this crowd. And he starts preaching and he shares what's known as the first Christian sermon in history, telling everybody in the crowd who Jesus was. And many of them believed. And I want to say that's so critically important that they, that they believed. It says that 3,000, 3,000, that's got to be a record, 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now it's important to realize that the Bible story, the text, Luke, the historian capturing all this stuff in Acts, he says that 3,000 were added to the number. See, they weren't converted. They didn't believe in that. Not yet. They just believed as Jewish men and women. They just believed that their thousand-year-old identity, this was the next natural progression that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. He was the Messiah that they had been waiting for for so long. They didn't think that they were converting to anything. They just thought that they were embracing the next logical step but they were so incredibly excited about this message, they'd go to the next town over and the village after that and the region beyond that. And they would tell this awesome news that a man died, came back to life, and if you believe in him, you too will come back to life after death. They brought this message out and people believed. In fact, non-Jewish men and women believed. They were called Gentiles. And they had all kinds of different ways of doing things. They had different customs. They had different worldviews. They had no idea about the dietary restrictions that Jewish men and women had. They had no concept of a Sabbath holy day, a day of rest to be set apart. They didn't get any of that stuff. But they believed the message in the hope that those people were bringing to them that Jesus died, came back to life, and in him, faith in him, you will too. They believed. And so then they had... The church had a new question as controversy broke out. And this next question wasn't just what is the church? We know what the church is. It's, among, it's an unstoppable movement of God. The next question that they were asking, who is the church for? And that's the question we're going to spend a little bit more time on. Who is the church for? Because this early church, they had to like figure out this thing. How Christian do Christians have to be? Do people have to be in order to belong to a faith community like a church? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to go there. We're going to go to Acts chapter 15. You can pull out a Bible and you can follow along. The words are going to be on the screen uh, beneath me. You can also follow along on the Bible app. 
uh, which is a great way so you can highlight things and make some notes to yourself that like stick with you in your own personal reading. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to read uh, from Acts chapter 15. And I just want to say that a lot of the content from today is going to come from this book, Deep and Wide, that sort of sets the, uh, the concept of what we believe who the church is for. We ask all of new staff members to read this book before they start on day one. We ask our board, our lead team, we call them, new members to read the book uh, before they join the team so that we can be all of one mind as we, as we uh, tread this, this course ahead of us. So from Acts chapter 15, we're going to start it off in verse 4, where it says that when they came to Jerusalem, they, we're talking about Paul and Barnabas, and they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done for them. <laughs> Listen to that. They reported everything that God had done for them. That's a tall order. Keep in mind about just a few of the things that they, that they had happen. I mean, these are some people that went out and, and they told like the paralyzed man they, they, that he can stand up, that he's going to gain his mobility back. That's incredible. In fact, also Paul and, and his companion Barnabas were at one point attacked and they threw stones at him large enough to try to kill him, to try to, try to execute him. They were through a lot. And he comes back to this, this church meeting in Jerusalem and he goes ahead and gives this report on everything that he had experienced. And I just believe that these church leaders were just on the edge of their seats and they were just listening and, and hanging on every word and wanting to hear more about every story that they shared. Until he finished. Until they got to the end of the, one of the stories and maybe he just sat back for a rest. And some skeptics, some doubters started speaking up. And in verse 5, we read those and we hear those skeptics. He says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Gentiles, as non-Jewish men and women, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. I mean, whoa. Talk about a momentum killer in the story. All of a sudden, these guys start to talk and, you know, we're hearing about the movement of God. All these incredible things are going on. And then there's a lull in the conversation and someone says, yeah, but now all the men have to go through surgery as grown men. And so Paul and Barnabas have been through a lot. Like I said, they were attacked. They had boulders thrown at them and, and to try to kill them. They've seen miracles. They, they faced all kinds of incredible opposition. But this is the most incredible and the most unstoppable momentum killer. This is the hardest opposition that they had facing them next. A church committee meeting <laughs> where they got together and they had to demonstrate to this committee what God was up to and how God was still behind this. Now listen, sometimes I get asked the question about how encounter, encounter responds so quickly and adapts so quickly to some of the changes that are happening, some of the updates that for a while we were getting hour by hour. And honestly, just, uh, uh, just in general over the last nine years of our existence. And one of the answers that I've been giving for years now is that oftentimes our committees are just two people because we believe in moving and acting quickly. Now those two people can often, can often call in some experts to act wisely, but that's how we keep moving quickly and effectively and responding as often as we can. 
So these guys come up against it and they feel like a big wet blanket had just been put over top of them and say, what about all of those laws? Now there were 600 laws that they had to keep track of along with commentary on top of that. There was a, there was a lot there. Remember it says that this is the party of the Pharisees. And some of you who grew up in church, or maybe you, you're familiar with some of these stories, you know that the Pharisees and Jesus were a little bit like oil and water. I mean, these are two groups that just seem to be at odds with each other all of the time. Well, I, I don't want us to have a wrong impression or a bad impression about the Pharisees, because these were people that were just trying to simply answer the question, how do I get right with God? How do I get good with God? And they wanted to... And they wanted to help. And they said, if you want to be good with God, you just simply have to follow these 600 rules. If you follow these 600 rules, plus the commentary that comes along with it, you too, no matter who you are, where you come from, you too can be good with God. And of course, Jesus said, listen, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. In fact, I know that you're not going to be able to do that, which is why I'm here in the first place. So now some of those Pharisees became believers and they became Christians. And they're saying the expression of our faith, our Christianity, is that you have to follow all of those from the easy ones all the way at the bottom. Like, you know, do not murder. Like, okay, check. I got that one. All the way up to men, grown men, no matter what their age, now are going to have to have surgery. This was incredibly difficult for the people to accept. I mean, you can just imagine how difficult that would be. Not only the surgery, but also everything that fell underneath that. Who is the church for anyway? This is the group that was saying it's for people exactly like us. And this is the part that I'd like you to wrap you into the story, to write you into the story, because you too, you have to figure out who is the church for? And so I want to challenge you on that thinking and saying, is the church for somebody that maybe just got back from prison? Is the church for somebody that drinks too much and cusses? Is the church for somebody that others say post inappropriate things on social media? Is the church for all of those who are liars, who are lusters, who are lazy, who are prone to anger and prideful and greedy? I hope that what you know, that what you just saw me do, is to try to rope all of us on some level or another into this story. Saying sometimes each one of us, we are going to be prone to deep seasons of skepticism and doubt. Is the church for people like that? People like us? So over here, Paul and Barnabas are saying, yes, absolutely. The church is for exactly that, people like us. And over here was the Christian Pharisees who are saying, no, the church is for the people that follow the 600 rules, that don't doubt even for a moment, that live their lives perfectly. And so they had this discussion and this debate that broke out. And after the debate went on for a while, one guy speaks out and he stands up and he makes this grand declaration. His name is Peter. And listen to what Peter says in verse six. It says that the apostles and elders met to discuss this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips 
the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? And I love this line from verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we are saved, <clears throat> just like they are. Powerful, powerful words by Peter. But some of you who know Peter's story, you know a little bit about him and about his character. Remember, Peter is the guy who is not shy about standing up and making these grand declarations. In fact, Peter was the guy that Jesus had to turn to and say, get behind me, Satan. Heavy, heavy words for a follower of Jesus. Peter was the guy that when, he was when Jesus was arrested, sentenced to death, and put up on a cross, Peter was the one where a little girl comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you, aren't you the one? Aren't you one of those followers of that guy? And Peter was one, not once or twice, but three times denied even knowing Jesus let alone following him after him in his death. That was Peter. Peter was also the guy that stood up in Acts 2 and made that grand declaration, the first Christian sermon where 3,000 people were added to their name. Listen, what I'm saying is Peter was the guy who would always be quick to speak. Peter was the guy who always had an impassioned speech to give to the church leaders. And to be honest with you, I'm a little bit like Peter. Some of the people around here at Encounter Church, you guys know that, that I'm prone to giving those impassioned speeches every now and again. In our board, our lead team, they have to put up with it, quite frankly, a lot. And they listen to me. They're gracious and they're compassion. They listen to me. And then they go ahead and make the right decision after hearing me out. And I'm deeply grateful for their wisdom all the time. But this is Peter. He was prone to do things like that. But beneath the story and beneath the passionate speeches that he would give, God was actually up to something with Peter. You see, God was speaking to Peter as well as he was speaking to other people in other areas, which is, I think, pretty cool, especially now as we're kind of scattered throughout West Michigan and even, even North America, that God is still on the move, that God is still speaking to people. In this case, God did something incredible. He gave Peter a vision. That this sheet came down from heaven with all of these animals on it. Uh, uh, animals that have split hooves, like, like pig, uh, pork, right? Unclean animals, shellfish, like shrimp, are coming down on this sheet. And it comes down, and, and Peter hears this voice that comes from God that says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 is this a trick? I think this might be a trick. I know those are unclean animals. No, I'm not going to do it. And it's interesting. The sheet comes down. Not once or twice, but three times with the same voice, Peter, kill and eat. And three times Peter says, no, he denies. He won't do it. And I think that third time he realized, oh, God is up to something yet again. God is trying to tell me something. And at the third time the sheet came down, he hears a voice. In addition to kill and eat, he hears the voice say, Peter, don't call what I have made clean, unclean. 
Now, every time I read that story for a long time in Acts chapter 10, I made the mistake of thinking that it was just about food. I thought God was was progressively giving us this revelation about unclean food. And I thought that was kind of the, the, the permission text opening up the eating of bacon and bacon wrapped things for all of us. And it is that. But God was up to something even deeper than that because that same vision was given to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, kind of like an army captain. It's a commissioned officer. And Cornelius has this same vision. And he, remember, he's not like Peter. He's not one of the, one of the, like the Jewish insiders. He's a Roman. He's a Greek. He's a Gentile. And so the vision It's about food, but more importantly, the infinitely more important than it being about food, it's about people. And God is saying to Peter and to Cornelius that these are my people too. Welcome them in. No matter who they are, no matter where they came from, welcome them. So God was up to something with Peter. And Peter shares his experience with the rest of them, no doubt helping bring them, these Pharisee Christians, along and understanding who God is for and, wh- and who the church is for as well. But remember, he's kind, of a, he's kind of the impassioned speech giver, Peter. And so after he finishes, I just imagine it's quiet again. And they're waiting for the next person to talk. And James The brother of Jesus, half-brother, literally, of Jesus, they shared the same mother, speaks up. Now, James was one of the most respected leaders in the church at the time. Because as we've discussed previously, it might be one of the best proof cases, proof evidence that we have that Jesus was actually God wrapped in skin Because he convinced his younger brother to believe that he was the son of God. Those of you like me who have older brothers, what would they have to do and say to convince you that they were the son of God? Yet James believes. And so he had the respect of everybody around. And he speaks up. And I love what he said. We don't have the slide for it, but it's in in Acts 15, verse 19, skipping down. James speaks up and he says that it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. I love that church. That is so definitive of everything that we do around here. Living out those words of James for the church to say, we should not make it difficult for those, no matter who they are, where they come from, who are turning to God. Listen, church, that's what we're about. Eventually, when we can get together in person, I want you to come through these doors and I want you to realize all of the different ways that we don't make it difficult for anybody, no matter what journey you're on, who are turning your way to God. We've designed this place so that when you come in, it feels like a familiar coffee shop. And hopefully you know this as a safe space for you. We've got all the hand sanitizer, electronic check-in for kids. We've got the allergy information. We've got this fun, bright kids ministry. All of these environments are designed so that you know that we're not making it any more difficult 
and absolutely necessary for you to explore what a relationship with Jesus could look like when you come into worship. I want you to remember, it's loud, it's dark. You might feel uncomfortable because of where you are and the journey that you're on. And we don't want you to think that everybody's watching you and staring at you because remember, this whole thing is about making sure that it is not difficult for you to turn your life over to God. The gospel is objectionable enough We don't need to make it any more difficult than it already is for you to take that next step with God. In fact, as we thought about moving to an online exclusive worship environment, Encounter Church Online abbreviates to Echo, which I just love, we thought we absolutely need to lean into that especially now. So we go through all the work to enhance this worship experience for you to invite neighbors, to invite friends, because it should not be difficult. God, listen to me, God does not want it to be difficult for you to turn to him. And so we'll do whatever it takes to meet you and meet your neighbors exactly where they are, where we are, to take that next step in our faith. So that's Peter's take. And that's also James, the half-brother of Jesus' take. What's the church going to say? What's that committee, council meeting of the church going to say in response to this incredible message? Listen. Verse 24. They respond. We've heard of you that some, <clears throat> we have heard that some, of, uh, that some of you went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to send some men, to send them with you, with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. So they're saying like, hey, listen, we sent these guys out. They weren't just rogues. They were doing this with our permission. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas, not that Judas, a different Judas, Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Okay, so they send these two guys, Judas and Silas, they send these guys out. We're going to confirm, right, what they said. Here it is, verse 26. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And this is going to be, this can be everything. They take the 600 list, the commandments, plus the commentary. This is, this is like everything that the Jewish Christians are going to ask the Gentile Christians. This is what you have to do in order to belong. Verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. (laughs) That's it. That's it. It's a list of like four things. They take this list that's 600 commandments plus commentary long and they boil it down to just, just four things. That's, it's incredible. It's like the shortest partnership one-on-one class ever. Just four things. But make no mistake about it though, church is that these four things, this was, not, this was not like the spiritual end point of what discipleship looked like. Uh, this, this was not like a definitive list of what you must do or what you must believe in order to be saved. This isn't like a doctrinal you know, thing at all. This was a practical thing to try to answer that question. Who's the church for anyway? And they're answering it and they're saying, okay, listen, As Jewish Christians, there's a few things that Gentile Christians do that just bother us. 
because of how we've been shaped for a thousand years previous, because we're meeting in, in synagogues on Sunday while the Jewish people meet on Saturday. Listen, because we're in our place of worship, we just, we, we can't have you showing up with the, with the like bacon greasy uh, hands, even though it sounds delicious, don't get me wrong. But like, no, the, meet, meet us here, would you? Like, can you accommodate us in this way? Just a couple of things that have to do with conduct and a couple of things that have to do with morality. Listen, if you just do that, we can continue on together. That's what we're asking you to do, to belong together. We don't want to make it any more burdensome than possible for you to come to faith. See, what they were doing is embracing the messy middle. They're trying to live out this movement that's based not on a policy, not on a list of right regulations and rules. They're trying to live out this faith based, this movement based on a person, a person that one of those close followers of Jesus, John, his name, looked over at Jesus and saying, that's God. And John looks over at his friend Jesus that he lived with for three years and he says, I don't know how else to describe it, but this man was full of grace and full of truth at the same time. And listen to me, it at times was so incredibly messy, this middle kind of gray area. It got him into trouble more often than not. But Jesus was the guy that, that would look over at a woman who was caught in adultery and say, don't shame her. Don't hurt her. But at the same time, after the crowd was gone, look over at the woman and say, go, leave your life of sin. It's truth and it's grace at the same time. And it's this like this tension that exists that Jesus would not and would never let go. And Jesus would look at Matthew this guy that's caught up in state-sponsored extortion, a tax collector, they called him. And Jesus would look over at this guy and say, Matthew, come and follow me. And he implicitly also says, leave your tax collector booth because you're one of mine now. Truth. But Matthew, I've got a place for you. Grace, no matter what. It's grace and it's truth. And they're being held in tension together all the time. And it's that middle messy. And it's, it's so incredibly difficult to try to live out. And here at Encounter Church, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to live in that messy middle, in that gray. Trying to hold tension between grace and truth. Because to give up on one or the other would be to lose the heart of Jesus that this entire movement of God is based on. And so sometimes... Sometimes it's hard because we're a church with rather conservative theology, but, but radically progressive posture, doing whatever it takes so that you know we're removing barriers so you can experience the love, the grace, and the truth of Jesus Christ. So sometimes here at Encounter, we come to find out that boyfriends and girlfriends are living together. You know, that, that hurts. That breaks our heart because we believe that that's, that's not God's best design for you. And that hurts you first and foremost. 
and then the people that you're in community and relationship with after that. And it's difficult. But we also want to celebrate with you at your wedding. And we're never going to turn you away because we love you. Because we love you, we're going to be honest with you. It's grace and it's truth. We have members of the LGBTQ plus community who worship here, who have found home here. And they show up every Sunday, I'm sure. And they just wonder, like, when's, when's the other shoe going to drop? But we love you. And we are so glad that you're here worshiping with us. And we hope to know, hope you know that you belong here in this place. Even though it's so incredibly messy as a community, it's worth it. Grace and truth, it's worth it. Because we believe that's the heart of our Savior, that this entire mission is built on. Listen, we're messy with our resources and with our money. That we are going to give away resources. Like to the, uh, the Green Apple Food Pantry that's just up the road from our physical location in Kentwood. We're going to give our money away to, to an organization that's not even distinctively Christian, but $50,000 now in the last few years, we're going to give away because you know what? We believe that Jesus wants every hungry person fed. And we're going to do that to our almost reckless extent so that they can provide meals for 200,000 food insecure families, one at a time, right here in West Michigan. We believe that honors the heart of God, that messy middle. You know, we've given around the same amount, that $50,000. We've given that out to help start and strengthen other local churches right here in West Michigan, which blows the people's minds from like a business perspective, right? Because people are like, that's, that's like McDonald's, you know, financially supporting Burger King and Wendy's. It makes no sense. Exactly. But you know what? We want everybody fed. And it doesn't matter how that happens. That message of God, the movement of God, the grace and truth of God, the heart of our Savior is too important not to. And at times, when you just find it too difficult to live in that messy middle, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember a time in your life when you were messy, a time in my life when I was a mess recognizing that there will be a time in my life and yours where you will be a mess again. Or recognizing that all of us are just one remarkably bad decision away from becoming a mess. And when you are at your messiest, you didn't want a policy or a list of rules. What you wanted when you're a mess is to belong. And here at Encounter Church, the heart of Jesus says, you are welcome here. I said earlier on that when people ask you, what kind of church is that anyway? That there'd be an answer. And here's your answer. You can look at them and you can say, Encounter Church, that's a place where unchurched people love to attend because we believe in a Savior who loves you to death and back again to new life. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we want to acknowledge this morning that this is such a mess, that we do not get this right. God, we're trying to hold this grace and this truth and tension together. We're trying to make sure that our community and each one of us know, we know that this is a place for people 
living messy lives. And sometimes, God, we confess, we get it wrong, we make mistakes, we err too far on one side or another, we act in such a way that it's not fair, and we acknowledge that. We also acknowledge that you aren't fair to us. You are so remarkably generous to us, far more than at all anything we deserve. And so we ask through this time, especially through this time, that you make that path clear, that you show us the way, that you lead us, and not only lead us, but by your Holy Spirit, reach around to us, and you grab hold of our hearts to make sure that we're following after you every step of the way. Show us the way this year and every year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.